And uh, let's read together Matthew 18, 21 through 35. Uh, Listen, this is the word of the living God. Then Peter came up and said to him, that's Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Derek's going to explain what that means. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payments to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me. I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Uh, This is God's word. Let's ask his blessing on it. Father, um, whether your word comes to us tonight as a comfort or as hurtful and offensive, um, or whether we're just distracted and disinterested, um, Lord, your word is living and active. And it is the way that you use to draw people to yourself and to, uh, to give us salvation in Jesus. And so, Lord, we pray now that you would be with us by your spirit, that you would help us see your word, to understand your word, and through it, to see Jesus, um, the one who's forgiven us much. We thank you so much for Derek, um, for the blessing that he has been um, to us, for how he has been patient and gentle with us, how he's led so many um, in, in talking about the gospel and how he has lived out the good news of your grace in our lives. And we ask that you would be with him now as he opens your word with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, yeah, so Chris, this semester has been taking us through the Old Testament. Um, And we've been looking at something called the fruit of the Spirit. Um, Today we are veering off course, and we're taking a detour, and we're going into the New Testament. Um, And we are looking, um, we're going to look at the very challenging subject of forgiveness. So at the beginning of our passage, we have a man named Peter, who is a disciple of Jesus, and he's also one of his best friends. And he asks Jesus this question. He says, Lord... How often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. If you've ever had a roommate, you know how important this question is. (laughs) Maybe you've asked, how many times should I clean up after my roommate when he leaves empty pizza boxes all over the room? Or how many times do I tell my roommate to turn her phone off instead of leaving it on uh, loud when it's 3 a.m. and she's texting her crush? (laughs) And Peter, Peter, no doubt, was thinking something along those lines, except a little more uh, ancient. I don't know what the equivalent of that is. Um, donkeys or sheep in the room. <laughs> That's why I don't go off script. <laughs> but anyways, 
so Peter probably had forgiven some dude several times recently and wanted Jesus to tell him, it's okay to unfriend you, him on Facebook now, like he deserves it, it's all right. But Jesus instead tells him, Peter, you should forgive your brother 77 times, not just seven. Numbers in the Bible typically carry extra meaning to them. Um, the number seven, which is used a lot in scripture, and probably we've used it in Chris's sermons, uh, means that something has reached its completeness, its fullness. So when Jesus replies to Peter, you should forgive 77 times, he's essentially saying, Peter, take what you think is complete, multiply that by 11, and then keep going. In other words, Jesus is saying that your forgiveness and my forgiveness should have no limits. And that's really tough when you think about it. Over the last year and a half since graduating college, I've again had the privilege of starting to read books that I actually want to read. I know that's foreign to a lot of you. Um, And since then, I have developed a bit of a taste for fiction novels, primarily epic fantasy. And before you call me a nerd, which admittedly I am one, uh, you should know that fantasy is the second most popular book genre in the world right now, selling at 350 million copies which is just beneath children's fiction, which has sold over a billion books worldwide. So if you're not reading fantasy books or children's books, you're not cultured. I hate to break it. (laughs) My favorite author right now is a guy named Brandon Sanderson, who is the author of the Mistborn series and the Stormlight Archive. A lot of you have no idea what I'm talking about, but those of you nerds are, like, dying right now. They're great books. They're really, really good. You should read them. Uh, Brandon Sanderson is a professor at UT, uh, where he teaches a class on novel writing as well. The dude does a lot. Um, And in my spare time, sometimes I like to watch his lectures on the YouTube, um, because that's what I do in my spare time, um, because that's not boring to me, even as it's boring to you to watch lectures. Because you're in school, I'm not anymore. Um, So there's a fancy term in novel writing, and stick with me here, that Sanderson calls the Pyramid of Abstraction. And the idea is when you're writing a story, and especially when you're building an imaginary world, you can just throw on the re- you can't just throw on the reader all the details all at once, right? Um, you can't tell everything about your crazy cool world all at once because that's confusing and it's boring. It's the difference between going onto the Lord of the Rings Wikipedia page and actually reading the books, right? Uh, you can get all the information you want from the Wikipedia page but you won't actually care about any of the characters and you probably won't be affected by it emotionally, most of you. Um, And the reason J.R.R. Tolkien's books have sold around 250 million copies by themselves is because he didn't write a Wikipedia article, right? Tolkien builds a foundation for you to understand this complex world um, by letting you experience it bit by bit through the eyes of characters. He helps you experience the story and not just hear it. And you can probably see where I'm going with this. When you look at our passage tonight, you can see that Jesus is actually doing the very same thing as a good novel writer. Um, He answers Peter's question with a story, with situations and characters that, that help answer why we should forgive always. So Jesus tells a story about an unnamed servant who owes his master some money, And by some money, I mean a huge amount of money. And to give you an example of how much money, you should know that a single talent is worth about 20 years of daily wages. And so if you do the math, this servant owes a total of about 200,000 years worth of daily wages, 
which is an extravagant amount of money. Uh, the modern day equivalent is approximately six billion dollars. Um, yeah, so all of you kind of now know what I'm talking about, which is more money than some countries have in their treasuries and way more than I have in my bank account or ever will. And most of you in here, maybe some of you might see that. I hope not. That's too much. Um, so Jesus wants to make this point um, that the servant's debt is such an exorbitant amount of money that he could never pay it off. Never, ever, ever pay it off. Uh, it's like if Ace Hood let you borrow 833 new Bugattis that he woke up in and you proceeded to crash all of them. Or it's like if you burned down Apple's new multi-billion dollar headquarters in Cupertino, California. Tim Cook would be peeved if you did that. You can't, you can't pay it off. It's too much money. Um, and he's making the point that our sin which is our broken relationship with our creator and the way in which we hurt each other daily is a debt we can never fully repay. And if we could really grasp for just a moment the true cost of the things we've done, it would shock us and it would probably break us. That debt you owe for gossiping about your friend, you think a simple apology should suffice, but really you owe $6 billion. Um, that debt you owe for looking at some random guy or girl like they're an object for your own pleasure, you think is harmless, um, but really you owe 200,000 years of prison for that. And that debt you owe for ignoring the person sitting beside you because their friendship can't get you anything, you think someone else will be a better fit for them, you deserve to die for that. And that's shocking. And I'm guilty of all those things. We owe far more than we can understand for the things we do on a moment-to-moment basis. Can we even comprehend how destructive our sin is? And we can't. We're callous to it. We become used to our debt, like the servant. And that's why Jesus had to shock the servant out of his contentment. Read with me verse 25. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. Jesus was preparing the servant and us for something remarkable. In verse 26, the story continues and says, So the servant fell down on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will give you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Jesus longs to restore our relationship with him. Before the servant even understood that his promise to pay everything back was bogus, the master was ready to forgive him the debt. It's like when you've been sick all day and you come home and your mom already has chicken noodle soup ready for you on the table. Um, Or it's like when a friend hands you a tissue before you sneeze. We're so hopeless in even seeing our sin for what it is that unless by God's grace he reveals it to us, we could never know the incredible forgiveness that he already desires to give us. We are so hopeless in seeing our sin. (laughs) But here's the sad part of the story. How does the servant react to the mercy shown him? Captain John H. Miller is a character played by Tom Hanks in the movie Saving Private Ryan. And if you haven't seen that movie, spoiler alert, I'm going to ruin it. All of it. Um, In the movie, (laughs) which is set just after the events of the D-Day invasion, Tom Hanks' character is ordered to find a man named Private James Ryan, um, who's played by Matt Damon, 
in his younger years, before he was Jason Bourne. Um, and the story goes, we learn that all three of Ryan's brothers were killed on D-Day. And upon hearing this, the U.S. general had ordered Captain Miller to find Ryan immediately and to bring him home to grieve with his family. And on the way to find Ryan, Miller's squad takes out a Nazi machine gun bunker. Uh, and despite objections from his men and despite one of his men being killed uh, in the assault, Tom Hanks' character lets a lone Nazi survivor of the bunker go free. And he tells him to turn himself into the nearest Allied forces where he will be taken care of. Um, and weeping, the Nazi man leaves unharmed and praising Miller for his mercy. And eventually, Tom Hanks and his squad finally find Private Ryan. Um, but they also find themselves the only available units to defend a crucial bridge in a small town called Ramel. And during the battle, most of Captain's Miller, Captain Miller's squad is killed defending the bridge. And Miller, Tom Hanks' character, is himself fatally wounded in the process. And he was shot by the same German man who he showed mercy to earlier. And as Miller lay dying on the bridge, Private Ryan finally finds him. And having saved Private Ryan's life, Miller's last words to him are, James, earn this. Earn it. And later in his life, Ryan asks his wife if he did, in fact, earn the sacrifice of his fellow soldiers on his behalf. And she responds, yes, you are a good man. And Private Ryan's response to the mercy shown him is exactly how we expect the servant in our story to respond, right? But the servant instead acts like the German whose life was spared, only to shoot the man who spared him. Uh, read with me verse 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. I don't know how to pronounce that, Chris. You said it funny. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. A hundred denarii is about $12,000, a fraction of what the first servant owned. It's not even worth his time, really. In this parable, Jesus gives us an example of a man who has seen his debt, who was offered total clemency at the expense of his master, a mercy that is incalculable, but who is never actually affected by that mercy. But we need to ask this question. Does the master punish the wicked servant because he simply failed to forgive someone else? The answer to that is no. I think what we'll find is that Jesus' concern always is less with what you should do and more about how you see him. Hear me when I say this. Jesus isn't telling you that you should forgive. He's telling you that you get to forgive. That is your privilege to forgive. And he's given you the freedom to forgive. Sammy Rhodes, the RUF campus minister at USC, says it well. He says, we need to stop shooting all over ourselves. <laughs> Chris, <laughs> thank you. Uh, Jesus' forgiveness changes the way we think. It, it changes our hearts from shooting all over ourselves to getting to do it. Um, <laughs> If the servant truly recognized that he had been what he had been given, uh, it wouldn't have been his duty to forgive his fellow servant. It would have been his joy. And many of you have parents that have hurt you so deeply, 
um, and you are so angry with them. And many of you have friends that have broken your trust, and you've held grudges towards them for years. Jesus' forgiveness of our debt changes our hearts so that we can say, it's my privilege and my joy to forgive you, Dad. Or, of course I forgive you, Mom. I'll always forgive you. Or you can finally approach that friend and say, these are the ways in which you have hurt me deeply, but I will never hold a grudge against you, and I forgive you. Can you say that? Can I say that? It's a hard parable. Forgiveness doesn't come easy for us. It doesn't come easy for me. At the end of the parable, Jesus gives us a warning. In verse 32, he says, Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And here's the hardest part. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. We've talked a lot this semester about what the fruit of the spirit is. But Jesus in this parable is giving us an, an example of what the fruit of the Spirit is not. And the reason the Master gives the unforgiving servant over to the jailers, which can also be translated the torturers, is not because the servant simply did not forgive his fellow servant. It's because he never actually saw the Master for who he is. The love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control that the master showed the servant in a single moment made no difference to him, and it never would. The good news of the gospel is that you and I have been cleared from all our debt and all our sin and from all the ways in which we have hurt one another and despised a merciful God. And 2,000 years ago, God himself came into the world. He entered into history so that he could tell us that our debt is forgiven. And he has taken the debt upon himself. He has sacrificed his only son, who is raised from the dead so that he can renew us and be with us forever. He came to tell us that he wants not just to save us, but to welcome us into his family, to adopt us as sons and daughters, and to give us an inheritance that is beyond our wildest imaginations. Do you believe that? It's hard to grasp. But when that kind of grace grips your heart, it does something that feels so unnatural and alien. It lets you look into the eyes of a person that has hurt you in a way that by all other standards is unforgivable. And you can tell them, I am overjoyed to forgive you. It lets you stop acting cold and distant to everyone around you and start giving people the love and attention they deserve because you want to. It lets you stop hating yourself because you think God will accept nothing less than perfection. And you can finally know that you are made beautiful in your weaknesses because Christ sees you as worth saving. Often you can't grasp the weight of what you've been given until you begin to offer it yourself. Start trying to forgive because your debt in Christ is nothing and the love of Christ is infinite. Hear this, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can take comfort in knowing that Jesus will help you to forgive. 
that the work he has started in you, he promises to bring to a completion. When Nadine Collier, the daughter of 70-year-old Ethel Lance, stood up at Dylan Roof's bond hearing, a man who killed in cold blood men and women who showed him the fruit of the Spirit, with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. When Nadine stood up, she did not curse his name. She did not wish death and justice upon this man who deserves it. She stood up and said these words. You took something very precious from me. I will never talk to her again. I will never, ever hold her again. But I forgive you and have mercy on your soul. How could this woman show this evil man such unbelievable and undeserved forgiveness? It's because she knows Jesus. She's seen him for who he is in all his mercy. And so it became her joy in the midst of terrible pain to forgive Dylan and even go so far as to bless his soul. Hope in Jesus. He will teach you to forgive without ceasing just by showing you how much you've been forgiven. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your mercy. Thank you that um, you have cleared a debt that is so tremendous and so impossible to imagine um, that you have done it because for some reason you love us enough to do that Um, and that you have sent your son to take on that debt, to die for our sins, and to be raised up so that we can join him one day when he returns. Um, I pray that this word um, and the, the, the words that you have spoken to us in your scripture would sink into all our hearts um, and that we would learn to forgive each other. In Jesus' name, amen.